0: Hi, this is Charles Duhigg. If you like how-to, we would love to encourage you to go onto Apple Podcast and to rate the show and maybe even write a review if you want. It really helps other people find the podcast and hopefully lets us solve more people's problems. Here's the show.
1: There are things that I love so much about Portugal and things that drive me so crazy about it. And something will happen, and I'll just be like, "Ah, I can't stand this country. I want to go
0: back to the United (laughs) States right now.
1: Or that moment where you're like, oh, my God, I love it here so much. I don't want to ever leave.
0: Welcome to How To. I'm Charles Duhigg. Each week, we talk to listeners who are trying to figure out how to solve one of life's problems. Like how to be funnier or how to cook a perfect meal. And then we do some research, and we track down an expert, and we get their advice. This week, we're talking to Elizabeth Collins, who joined us on a Skype call from Lisbon, Portugal. And her location is actually a big part of why she reached out to us.
1: I am struggling with a huge decision of whether to move my family across an ocean back to the United States. I am a 48-year-old mom of two boys. Um, I have a PhD in social psychology, and I uh, moved to Portugal with my husband and one child in 2009. And since we've been here, we had a second child, and we ended up staying for nine years. Our experience in Portugal has been wonderful, but at the same time, I miss the United States.
0: So when you... When you guys were thinking of moving to to Lisbon the first time, nine years ago now, how did you decide to do that?
1: Looking back now, it's hard to say what we were feeling at the time, but now it feels like it was just easy.
0: (laughs) But now, almost a decade later, the question of whether to uproot their lives and move again, it's a lot harder. So
1: there are good things and bad things about both countries, and I feel extreme ambivalence about both staying here and going back to the United States.
0: Elizabeth and her husband, Robert, and their two kids, they have to decide where they think they're going to be happiest down the road. And since they can't perfectly predict how things are going to turn out, they're basically gambling on their future, which is why we turned to this person.
2: I think it's important to recognize that every decision that we make is a bet.
0: Annie Duke knows a lot about betting. And the reason why is because she's a professional poker player. She's actually won more than $4 million playing poker. She's also the author of a book called Thinking in Bets, Making Smarter Decisions When You Don't Have All the Facts. Nowadays, she mostly considers herself a decision strategist.
2: I think that we think of betting as very specifically confined to, you know, casinos, But all that a bet is, is a decision that's informed by your beliefs about an uncertain future. You are investing some sort of resource. It could be money, it could be time, for example. Uh, It could be your own happiness, your health. Um, You're investing some sort of limited resource on a particular decision uh, where you're assuming that the future that results from that decision will have a good return on investment. You've been interested
0: in decision-making for a really long time. In fact, before you became like a professional poker player, right?
2: So I, I actually started off my life at, in graduate school, getting my PhD in cognitive science at the University of Pennsylvania. I fully expected that I was gonna become a professor. Um, and particularly, I was very interested in, you know, how do you learn under conditions of uncertainty, which is really a decision-making problem. Yeah. Um. So at the end of graduate school, I actually got sick. And I ended up going off uh, to become a poker player while I was recuperating.
0: When Annie was recuperating from being sick, she needed some way to pay the bills, and and so that's why she started playing poker. And and she was really good at it. And and the reason she loved playing poker is kind of the same reason she was interested and loved cognitive science, because there's so much that you can't know, right? When you're playing cards, you never know how lucky you're going to be. You may never know which cards your opponents have. Sometimes even if you win, you don't even know if you made the right choices because maybe things just went your way.
2: It's not like chess. I can't say, oh, I lost the hand, therefore I must have made very poor decisions in that game. Or I won the hand, therefore I must have made very good decisions. Because I can play a really great hand that's mathematically a favorite. I can play it really, really well and I can still lose because of the turn of a card. Likewise, I can play a really bad hand that's mathematically very disfavored. I can play it actually quite poorly, and I can still win because of the turn of a card.
0: So that's interesting, so so that, that would kind of suggest maybe that like, if someone's confronting a big decision, and I've made good decisions in the past, I've made bad decisions in the past, how would that influence how I should think about my experiences?
2: I mean, I can give you a super simple example. Um, If I go through a green light and I get in an accident, I didn't make a bad decision. And if I go through a red light and I happen to get through safely, that doesn't mean I made a good decision. So this does actually create a problem. As you're going back and combing through your experience and trying to learn from the feedback of the way things have turned out in your life, it really trips us up.
0: When Annie says every decision is a bet, what she means is you're betting on a future version of yourself, no matter what you do. Our listener, Elizabeth, for instance, she has to figure out, where will future Elizabeth be happiest? And that's a really tough question to answer. I I asked Annie uh, this hypothetical. Let's say, for instance, I was living in Las Vegas, and, and I liked living there. It's a fun place to live. But I'm trying to figure out, should I take a new job in Des Moines where I don't know anyone and I don't know if I'll like the city very much, but there's this better job waiting for me?
2: Whichever decision you make is a bet that the future Charles that you're choosing is going to be better off and happier and and win against the future Charles that you're not choosing. Like, this happens to people all the time. Like, you're sitting in a restaurant and you're deciding between, like, the chicken and the fish. And obviously, we don't really know which thing is going to be better. Yeah. Because that's happening in the future. And so let's say that you sort of look at it and based on your beliefs about past experiences with chicken and how you've liked things at that restaurant before or whatever it might be, you decide to choose the chicken. And so Charles who eats the chicken now gets his chicken and it's it's terrible. Right. It's like dry and awful and disgusting. And what goes through your head? Man, I should have chosen the fish. Why did I choose the chicken? And that's really the equivalent of the Charles who eats fish saying, you're so dumb to have bet against me.
0: Right. So how do I use that then? If I come to you and I say, Annie, trying to decide, do I stay in Las Vegas or do I move for this job to Des Moines, which one do I think is the odds-on favorite to win that bet, to be the, the better choice?
2: The first step is to understand that not doing something is a, a decision in itself. Yeah. So we'll spend a lot of time trying to think about the Des Moines decision because it's a new decision, and we forget that staying in Las Vegas is a decision in and of itself.
0: Annie's first rule is to realize that sticking with the status quo, that itself is a choice.
2: Secondly, is to recognize that your decisions are always informed by your beliefs, your beliefs about what Des Moines is like, your beliefs about how much you like Las Vegas, all of those things. And then recognize that those things aren't ever 100% sure. Okay. So you want to do a really deep examination of your beliefs, particularly asking yourself, why might these beliefs be wrong?
0: So the way you do this is that you write out your beliefs about each choice that's in front of you. And and then you play devil's advocate. You you find people to poke holes in your beliefs and you hear what they have to say. Or or you test out those beliefs by doing little thought experiments, like trying to figure out all the possible outcomes.
2: So for example, if you move to Des Moines, it could be this was the best job that I ever took and I totally love Des Moines. It could be the company that I moved to ends up going out of business in a year, right? And you can do the same thing for Las Vegas. So you're trying to figure out what are all the possible scenarios and then start trying to take a stab at what the probabilities of those scenarios are. Now, in order to do that, there's an extra step that you can take that you put on top of it, which is think about what you would consider success in, say, three years or five years.
0: So this rule involves actually kind of forcing yourself to think about your goals. Right? What is it that you actually want?
2: And then imagine that those three years or five years or whatever it is has already passed, and you've held up the newspaper that says Charles reached his goal. Okay. And ask, what do I think had to have happened in order for me to achieve that goal? So how did Ah. I get here? This is called backcasting, is to work backwards from success and figure out all the things that needed to happen in order for that to success to occur. But then what you want to do, which is actually more important, is the flip side of this exercise, and it's called a pre-mortem, which is instead of doing a post-mortem, do it before the fact and say, here's my headline, Charles failed,
0: he right. <laughs> did not reach his
2: goal, and then ask yourself why that happened.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: Right. So now what you're doing is you're exploring kind of the downside a little bit more and you're understanding, okay, what kind of things can happen due to my own decisions and due to luck that can cause these bad outcomes to happen? So now let me actually make a plan that makes sure that I'm making those good decisions as opposed to those bad decisions in order to increase the probability of success.
0: So Annie's next rule is to use these methods of backcasting, where you imagine the best case scenario, and a pre-mortem, where you imagine the worst case scenario, to kind of figure out which outcome do you think is most likely in Vegas? Which outcome is most likely in Des Moines?
2: Then you can start to ask yourself, is there some new piece of information that I could uncover in the time frame that I have to make this decision that would fundamentally change my lean here?
0: Oh, like, let's
2: say that I'm 60% Des Moines, 40% Las Vegas, and I'm worried because I'm not 100% Des Moines. This process allows you to realize, well, I'm not 100% Vegas either. <laughs> and I can now say to myself, is there some new thing that I could discover that would tilt it, that would make it so that all of a sudden Vegas would become 60% and Des Moines would become 40%? Right. And what you find is very often the answer is no, there isn't. Huh. So then just go ahead and make the decision. <clears throat>
0: Coming up, we take Annie's advice and try to help Elizabeth decide whether to stay in Portugal or uproot her family and move back to the US. And Annie gives us another rule that comes from ancient Greece, which is kind of close to Portugal. That's after this quick break. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com.
3: This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design.
0: Okay, so 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 the thing you want to try and figure out is how to make this decision whether to stay in Portugal or come back to the United States. And and let me just ask like why is this so hard? Cuz it it sounds like this is it sounds like this has been kind of eating at you for a little while, right?
1: There are things that I love so much about Portugal and things that drive me so yeah. crazy about it. And things that I love and miss so much about the United States and things that drive me so crazy about it.
0: Yeah. No, that, that just because you have good problems, that does not mean that they aren't problems.
1: Right. Because you know, you're giving something up one way or the other.
0: Let me tell you what we did to try and help you out. I went and I talked to Annie Duke, who is a, she's actually a professional poker player. Um. So to be totally honest, Elizabeth was a little bit skeptical about whether a professional poker player is the right person to help her figure out whether she should move her family back to the United States. But I went through Annie's method with her, and I thought at the very least it could help Elizabeth clarify the choice that she's trying to make. Let me take a step back. So you're going to end up making a bet on a future version of yourself, right? The first big step is is understanding that the the status quo itself, right? If you stay in Portugal, that's actually a decision. But now we have to figure out what do you actually believe about these two choices? And so imagine imagine you're three years down the road and you've moved to the United States and everything goes exactly as you planned, right? It's been a huge success. Tell me exactly what that looks like and how you got there.
1: I think it looks like both Robert and I having jobs that are good, that we're happy with, more or less well-paying, and the kids are happy in school, you know, there's this sort of fantasy. My parents are outside of Boston, and in Cambridge, there's actually a bilingual Portuguese-English public school, and so the the fantasy is somehow affording to buy a house in Cambridge. So that the kids can uh, oh, can go to school there and having jobs in the Boston area close enough to, to spend time with my family, my parents, as they're getting older.
0: Next, Elizabeth tried backcasting, right, to, to figure out what it would take to turn that goal into a reality.
1: We have to get jobs that are, you know, close enough to be commutable to from... Cambridge.
0: So, um, finding jobs for you and your husband that you enjoy in, in the Boston area, is that likely? Is that unlikely? Like if, would you say like, oh, sure thing, hundred percent, or it's never going to happen, zero percent, or like it's a coin flip.
1: So I think finding jobs for both of us, uh, is the chances are quite high, right? So I would put that at, you know, 80, 90 percent. Finding jobs that we really like, much more challenging, right? I mean, so I think 50-50 or 60-40.
0: Okay. Okay. And what about what about um getting into the school? Like it sounds like the school is a big deal for you. But is that is that like a make or break thing? Like if your kids went to a school where they don't speak Portuguese, is that I would
1: be sad, but it's not okay. a make or break thing. No, no,
0: no. Okay, so let's just let's just say 50-50 since we don't know, right? And then I guess the other thing is so so being able to find a house or an apartment that you can afford. That, that would allow you to be close to your parents, since that's the whole point of moving back, is to be able to see them and your friends. What's your sense there?
1: I guess, again, I would say it's a, it's a coin toss. It's
0: 50-50. And that's kind of one of the points of this exercise, to force us to figure out what we know and what we don't know. Because Elizabeth is confident she can find a job in the U.S., but she's not that confident that her kids will get into the Portuguese language school, but it also turns out that's not such a big deal. And most important, we've identified what Elizabeth needs to figure out. What are the odds of finding a house she can afford in Cambridge? Since one of the big reasons she wants to move back is to be closer to her parents. But then there's actually another even bigger question. Because we've thought all about the various odds if Elizabeth moves back to the U.S., but what are the odds of her life staying the same in Portugal? Her kids have basically spent their whole lives in Portugal, but there's a pretty good chance that they would be just as happy in the U.S., right? And when Elizabeth starts thinking about it, staying in Portugal, it might actually be a lot riskier than it seems. Because she came to the country on a five-year contract for her job, and it's been extended a few times, but there's no guarantee that it's going to be extended again. And if she lost her job, then they'd be forced to move back.
1: What you said made me realize that we could be ending up being forced rather than making the choice. Maybe I want to feel like I'm making the choice of when to go rather than... Coming back because we can't find jobs here, that, that that's important to feel like we're controlling it.
0: That's really interesting. And and that is one of the things that we know about decision making, is that it's almost impossible to be happy when we feel like we can't make a choice. Within psychology, this is actually known as the um, cognitive need for closure. That this feeling like like we are in control and that we control our own destiny, that actually makes us much happier than even something that turns out wonderful, but is beyond our control. When when I talked to Annie, she said, one of the most important parts about this exercise, it's not just making the decision, it's making sure that you're at peace with the decision after you make it.
2: So I think that that's what part of the beauty of scenario planning is. When the future doesn't turn out exactly ideally, exactly the way that would have been the best possible way that it could turn out, you aren't as surprised because you recognized in advance that there were lots of different ways that it could turn out. So you're kind of accepting the uncertainty in the first place.
0: And so once you've gotten at peace with the uncertainty, once you've used backcasting and pre-mortems to figure out what you know and what you don't know and what you need to learn, then you do the next step. And this is what really solidifies things.
2: After you've done that process, you really want to get some good Ulysses contracts in place.
0: Okay, Um, so tell me about that.
2: Yeah, so Ulysses contract is a pre-commitment contract, so it comes from actually Odysseus. Um, So Ulysses is the Roman name for Odysseus from the Odyssey. And if people will remember, he had to go through all these trials— in order to get back to Penelope, he had to sail by the Island of the Sirens. Right. And other sailors had, you know, there were legends about this, so he knew what was coming.
0: What he knows is that when other sailors have gone by the Island of the Sirens, their their like, song is so alluring that men lose their minds and they like drive their ships into the rocks, right? They like crash right. because they're chasing the sirens.
2: And it's certain death.
0: Certain death, okay.
2: Certain death. So yeah, the, the ship is going to break apart on the Rocky Shoals. Um, so he knows that this song is irresistible to any man who hears it. So what he asks his crew to do, he puts wax in the ears of the crew so they simply can't hear, hear the sirens. But he actually wants to hear the siren song, but that's obviously a problem because he might act on his own worst impulses. He understands where the hiccups might be, right? So he's done the premortem in order to prevent that he has his crew tie his hands to the mast of the ship. Okay. So that he simply can't act on the impulse that he knows is going to be irresistible.
0: I love that. And, and I love the act of choosing this Ulysses contract ahead of time because it makes you really grapple with the regret you're going to feel because every choice it spurs some regret at some point, right? Everyone second guesses themselves at some point about a big decision they made.
2: That That's exactly right. And if you anticipate that in advance, it helps you so much because you're like, oh, no, I've been here before.
0: Part of Elizabeth's problem is that she's been thinking about this question. Should she move or stay for so long that it's getting bigger and heavier? And so simply making a choice, it feels like such a burden now, right? And that can make it harder to see things clearly. And so I proposed to her. That she make a Ulysses contract, something that would give her a deadline for reaching a final decision, since there's been a little bit of procrastination. Are you saying we've been doing that for the last seven I, it years? Might, it, it sounds a little bit like like this is a conversation that's been going on for a while. <laughs> is that fair? Yes. Okay. Okay. So so if if you know that that um because you are deciding, right? You're deciding either to stay in Lisbon or you're deciding to move to the US. There is no inertia here what kind of ulysses contract can you put in place to make sure that you actually make this choice and you're in control of making it
1: so my question is do you when you talk about a ulysses contract are you talking about something like giving notice on the apartment saying we are leaving
0: that sounds like it would be i mean it's you said you have you have a little bit of time left on the contract in your job right now you could Tell them that you don't want to be considered for another position afterwards. And you could tell your landlord, this is the date we're leaving. Or you could sign a Ulysses contract the other way and say, hey, we want to sign a lease for another five years. And sometimes that Ulysses contract, that makes us make the choice. And again, oftentimes it feels better once we do.
1: Oh, God, amen. (laughs) I want to be done with this decision. I do, I do.
0: <laughs> Why?
1: Well, just because it's true. We've been, it's been wearing on us. And my older son has spent most of his life being told, well, we're going to move back to the U.S. eventually. We're going to move back to the U.S. eventually.
0: Annie says it's not unusual for Elizabeth to be stuck in neutral like this and, and doubting herself and waiting for the right answer to, to magically appear.
2: Because what I think hangs most of us up is this idea that we need to know for sure, right? I mean, that's the piece that we forget. We think we need to be 100% on Des Moines, but that implies that we're already 100% on staying, you know, in Las Vegas, which can't be true. So you recognize that there's uncertainty in both things. And then once you've done that, you're like, okay, so I'm 60% for Des Moines, 40% for Las Vegas. Let's do it.
0: So let me ask you, We've gone through the process, did you feel like this helped? I,
1: yes, absolutely. I think it helped as i as I said Annie's strategies both both for for me definitely the percentages uh, the odds on finding jobs that we would really like had a big effect on me, and at least for the moment, I feel some amount of calm
0: <laughs> Oh good, good. Hey, Elizabeth, let me ask you one other thing what's the decision that you're going to make
1: well. I think I am going to go home to my husband and say, I really feel like this is the right time and the right decision to go back. So I like these, the strategies of the pre-mortem and the backcasting. And so I was thinking that I would make him do them, too.
0: That's a great idea.
1: And then hopefully he'll come to the same conclusion. But if he comes to the other conclusion, that will be very annoying.
0: (laughs) Well, that's another (laughs) how-to. How to convince your husband he's wrong. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to Elizabeth Collins for sharing her story with us and to Annie Duke for all of her fantastic advice. Make sure to look for Annie's book, Thinking in Bets, making smarter decisions when you don't have all the facts. And when we originally spoke to Elizabeth, it was kind of late last year. And so she recently sent us this update.
1: Hi, Charles. So after our conversation, I, I had a conversation with my husband about the things we had talked about. And we are still in Portugal at the moment, but we are looking for work actively in the United States. So we will
0: definitely move back. Good luck, Elizabeth. Do you have a problem that needs solving? Send us a note at, howto at slate.com and we might be able to help. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Merrick Jacob is our engineer. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown. June Thomas is the senior managing producer of Slate Podcasts, and Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Special thanks to Asha Saluja. I'm Charles Duhigg, thanks for listening.